0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Bullhorns and Sirens with me Tommy, me Sam, and me Poppy. Well, today we have got a really special guest for you all, haven't we Poppy?
1: We do indeed. We are welcoming today Olivia Louise Hamilton, the owner and founder of Changing Minds Training, Olivia has kindly given us our time to talk about mental health. Uh, She is very experienced in both sides of mental health. Being a patient and a service provider, due to her own personal experience, Olivia wanted to offer bespoke training services in mental health where she combines her personal experience with professional qualifications to provide education and training around the subject matter, including a mental health first aid course, a suicide first aid course, and other tailor-made training so, a very warm welcome to Olivia.
0: Two claps there, Olivia. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. No, that's all right. No, thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. So, um, we've sort of told your life story in that little intro- introduction that uh, Poppy said there. But um, are you happy to introduce yourself? Tell us a bit about your previous work experiences and your hobbies and then what got you into changing mind training and stuff like that?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, I started out my, I guess, professional career in mental health services. So uh, I was working for a community care company. Um, then went from there to um, an inpatient environment. Um, I guess I can say that one because it's been knocked down now. Shrewsbury Court in Red Hill. Used to work for those guys. Oh, God, that been one. Been knocked no, down really. now. <laughs> Seriously, that one got closed down. They, they literally got shut down. Um, and then worked at an ambulance service, didn't I with you, Tommy? For, yeah, yeah. For uh, about where we five are. years. Yeah. Um over that period of time I experienced really poor mental health. Um, something that I've struggled with for most of my life. Uh had a eating disorder diagnosis as a as a teen. Um, went on to recover from that and then sort of early uh no, late teens, late teens, started struggling with the mental health again, went off to university um wanted to be a clinical psychologist and the irony was that i had to come back home because of my mental health was so poor and i dropped out of university
0: oh no and then you ended up seeing a clinical psychologist i ended up seeing oh, a clinical psychologist typical. yeah exactly she exactly
2: sneezes. um so yeah early early sort of 20s late teens was quite unwell with my mental health got a, a personality disorder diagnosis had a lot of issues with like self-harm suicide substance misuse um, and that really was what led to me starting changing mind's training, so back at the ambulance service was scrolling through the internet on a on a night shift, came across something called mental health first aid, didn't really know what I was gonna do with it um just decided to give it a go, so it was a little bit of a passion to begin with, didn't really think it was gonna turn into a you know a full time job and here we are now, do it on a full time basis um
0: no that's awesome no and and yeah no that's that's really cool and you know we really appreciate um you being open to talk about it as well because i know it can be really difficult for a lot of people um but yeah you're happy to be open and, and stuff like that which we really appreciate um if you're happy um we're gonna talk about your experiences in healthcare as a patient, and then we'll move on to uh, more about changing minds training if that works. Yeah, yeah. So um, when you came back from university um, to, to sort of fix your mental health or to try to get some help for it, how did you find getting specialist help? Was there like big delays? Because, you know, we sort of hear it all the time where people go, oh, I'm not getting the right help or, oh, they don't care about me and stuff like that. What was your experiences of just reaching out and getting that sort of initial professional help?
2: yeah it took a long time uh it's almost like you have to go through what feels like a bit of a tick tick box exercise at the beginning yeah and i think in hindsight it does make a little bit of sense to me now because at the time i was having crisis after crisis and i i couldn't self-regulate i couldn't keep myself safe so there was actually no point me doing you know really deep therapeutic work when that would potentially be really triggering for me so yeah. I went through a lot of the stuff that most people do when they first have issues, you know, your CBT, your counselling. Um I, I went through uh something called the Recovery College where they do sort of short courses on managing emotions, sleep management, that sort of stuff. Um but I did need something a little bit more specialist. Um I waited 18 months for something called steps, which is specifically for borderline personality disorder, and then I waited another two years after that for psychotherapy so yes long waiting lists long long waiting lists
0: yeah massive waiting lists and even i find like um i've had friends and family that they they sort of go to step one of getting professional help and they say right yeah we'll get a therapist to talk to you and then they call them up over the phone and they basically get them to pour them pour out all of their emotions and like and it causes it pretty much causes a crisis, and they go, yeah, sweet, um well, someone will get get in contact with you within six weeks, and you're like, "Hang on a second, I'll, I was at an all right point at the moment. You've then just broken me down, yeah I, I need someone now <laughs> <Yeah>. and, <laughs> like... and you've just broken me down and mm-hmm. and now you're telling me that I'm going to have to wait well, like you said, well, two years for for anything real to actually happen mm-hmm. and And then, yeah, I suppose we we wonder why um people have constant crisis after crisis after crisis. And it kind of makes sense.
1: It may not be the most delicate way to explain it to patients um, that I've seen, but I always find myself saying, I know that it feels like you're never getting anywhere with it when they're sort of reaching out to the ambulance and then trying to reach out to other mental health services. Um, But I always say it's like throwing yourself at a brick wall until something breaks. And at the moment that that happens, it seems to me from the outside, that all of the mental health services is then available to you. It's just breaking in that's the hard bit because Mm. either you're not Mm. unwell enough or you're too unwell or you don't fit the right type of therapy Mm -hmm. or the therapy that you want isn't available in your area or it has to be private and all that type of thing. Mm -hmm. I always find that... I don't know know if that helps patients but I don't know if it also gives them maybe, hopefully, a little bit of hope towards maybe this time you know something will break
2: Mm. yeah perhaps yeah i think we're we're as a society i think we're quite reactive there's a lot of work to be done i think in in prevention and in in my in my experience both sort of professionally and personally um i find that when you are at that point of crisis suddenly there seems to be all of this help and support but actually if we recognize things a little bit earlier down the line maybe we wouldn't have all these people reaching crisis and phoning for emergency help but yeah. unfortunately um, that sort of primary care doesn't really exist.
0: Yeah no that sort of hung down on me actually sort of to be proactive rather than reactive would be would be better wouldn't it but yeah. I think everything's like that though isn't it? Should we talk about, uh, I don't know, the roads and the potholes and stuff? No, i <laughs> <okay. laughs> um, But yeah, did you have experience with the ambulance service at all?
2: I did, yes. Yeah, how yes, did you I find did. that?
0: Because I find, like, you go, you can walk into a crew room. In fact, you can even walk into a control room, and the call takers have very differing opinions on how they find taking a call um, uh, from, from someone having a mental health crisis. You go to a crew room with ambulance staff, and they have differing opinions on it and you can have someone who's happy to sit down for half an hour, have a really in depth chat or really want to help people get the most appropriate care for these people. And then you've got, then you've got the other side where they just go, I just want to take him to a and eat and just get them off my shoulders as quick as possible. Mm. How did you find your experiences with the ambulances?
2: Um, I think I've experienced both both of those and everything in between. It, yeah. it really is so mixed. Um, I think I think most people in terms of professionals you know ambulance service or otherwise i think people are doing the best that they can with the resources and the knowledge that they have um but there are a lot of negative experiences that that i could share with you um mm. i'm not not necessarily going to today because i i think it's it's helpful to focus on on the positive and learn from you know what people have done well yeah but i think I think the biggest thing is, is all the stigma surrounding it still and, and, and people's attitudes and the, I guess, assumptions and misconceptions, particularly about certain diagnoses. Um, but yeah, my experience, it's, it's been a real mixed bag. There's been professionals that, you know, I can remember their names of because they've been so compassionate and had all the time in the world for me. Yeah. And there's others that I can also remember their name because... Um, it was like they went out of their way to just be as horrific as possible. Yeah. <laughs> what
3: uh like, sort of the... Because some people, I think, uh, clinicians, you know, might not be aware of what the right and wrong things to say are. And they might sometimes say something that in their mind at the time they think, oh, that was a probably good thing to say. And then you're, as a patient, going why have they asked me that? Or why have they said that? That's an awful thing. Like, because I guess if we're on the outside looking in, we don't understand what you're going through and we don't understand the best way to communicate it at times. It, were there any sort of like key things that, or common things that ambulance staff or other clinicians say to you and you're like, why, why have you said that?
2: Um, there's no no sort of specific phrase or sentence that I can think of, but more sort of the that attitude of, you're wasting my time Mm. you know I've got physical health emergencies to be at this sort of notion you're doing this to yourself um yeah all of those sort of things I think i found to be quite unhelpful um yeah I can't really think of anything anything sort of specific what
1: um would you if you were in that situation and you've called an ambulance what do you think is the best way for ambulances to deal with it? What do you sort of want? Is I know that's different for everybody, mm. but from your experience, what did you want from the outcome? Did you want sort of a sit down and a chat, and then maybe a go to hospital,
2: or? I mean, uh, you know, it it very much depends on the the situation, um, but but most of the time, just that being acknowledged, being validated, being listened to, is you know, is more powerful than anything and I think particularly for people that have been almost recycled through the system, they probably know that calling an ambulance isn't going to be an answer to Mm. all of the issues that that they've had, but I always think, and something I bear in mind in my professional life now is, um, I think when people do reach out for help, they base that sort of interaction on future interactions they might have.
0: Mm. So,
2: if they've maybe just reached out for help and that hasn't been received very well, they've had that attitude of "why am I here?" with the ambulance service we can't really do a lot. That they they may act as like a barrier for for future support they might have.
3: Right. Does that does yeah. that make a little yeah, bit of sense? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm just becoming self-aware of things that I <laughs> that I say commonly, <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, oh, actually, based on what you're saying, it's like it's probably yeah. Fair. Also Answer excited. my own question in my head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: And also it's like I wish it was as simple as being like you can say this you can't say this but it's not that black and white like context Mm. is so important yeah Mm -hmm. and thinking about like language which is something I talk about a lot in training people tend to want like hard and fast rules of what you can say and what you can't say and it's just not that simple because language is so nuanced who's saying it's important context is important and I think it's always about focusing on the person that you have in front of you not making assumptions mm. um using language that, that they find helpful and you know sometimes people do find certain things offensive that, that others won't and i think just trying to look from the perspective of of, of that individual and and almost taking their word for it if that if that makes any sense
0: yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense actually because. We I have go to people before and you can literally look at your crewmate's face and you can just tell they're completely not interested. They're not believing what they're saying or even what they've been through. And I work in an area where there's a lot of asylum seekers that have come from um, sort of really difficult countries like Afghanistan and, and places like that. And there's just no compassion there. And, you know, yeah, a lot of them, they do come over and they, they really exaggerate a story to try and uh, get asylum here. But, you know, you don't know which ones are telling the truth and which ones are just blagging it so you kind of you know we're not we're not making the choice on whether they can be here or not we're just there for their crisis at that time and and it's the same thing really you know i think that just taking taking for what they say verbatim and just really trying to put yourself in their shoes about the situation that they're currently in maybe that might help be more compassionate towards things um, but yeah no i think the the whole stigma around everything is is awful and God knows what we need to do to change it, but um, it's considering that now a lot of uh, staff members in the ambulance service have mental health problems themselves. Mm. Um, I, I find it a bit weird, really, that um, there is still a stigma attached to to it, even within the ambulance service and the opinions amongst staff that that have had a crisis themselves. And I think, yeah. hang on a second, you 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 were in that person's position before. Um, surely you can understand a bit
3: I think, I think it probably chucks back to that whole culture thing doesn't it is where there's a culture instilled from years and years and years ago within these services, whether it be the ambulance service healthcare, anywhere else in the healthcare service or, or other organisations and that culture drops down and cascades and cascades and even if you go in with this like you're a newly qualified clinician of whatever grade and you go in with this positive outlook after X amount of days, weeks, months doing your job you get dragged into the culture and the stigmas that come with it. And because you want to fit in, because you want to feel like part of the team, because you're new there and you feel like, oh gosh, I need to go along with these guys. And then you end up getting dragged into it rather than challenging it and being like, oh, actually, I don't really think that's a appropriate thing to say. People are too easily sort of, not everyone, you know, but majority for sure are probably too easily brought into I, those negative cultures. I even
1: like admit to that to myself. When I started working... Um I worked with a few people who were who, like sort of get a mental health job come up on the CAD and they'd be like, oh, my gosh, another mental health job. I don't I don't I don't like it. I don't want to do it. And then when I started, I sort of flipped into that mindset being like, oh, my these I find them really like difficult to work through. And in actual fact, by changing my just the way I start thinking about it when it pops up on the CAD and immediately going, it's going to be fine because we're just going to have a little chat and we're going to figure out what's going on and then we're going to make a plan from there and treating it like any other job Mm. I end up having much better interactions with patients Mm. I find and much better like outcomes I feel like for them than what I was previously having when I first started and I maybe wasn't so confident to be like no this is this is the way we're going to do it and it's going to be fine and everything's going to work out for Mm. us and
0: for them yeah, that's it. And I don't know if you found this, Olivia, as well. But like, I've I've worked with people before that that they they walk in and they go, "Okay, well, what do you want me to do for you then?" And it's like, they 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 might not even know themselves. You know, mm-hmm. you don't walk into a patient who's broken their leg and go, okay, "Well, what do you want me to do for you then?" You know, like like you're shrugging your shoulders, like you know, what well, well, this is, I don't know what to do, you know, and um and so you know, I think that's the difficult one as well. And you call someone for help, and uh and then they come and they go. What do you want me to do for you then? It's just like, mm-hmm. and it, I suppose looking at it from a physical illness point of view, if I had some like chest pain or something, and I and a, and a paramedic walks in and goes, "What do you want well, me to do about that?" Yeah, I'll be like, "Are, are you joking me <laughs> Your job, mate. And I suppose, and and that would cause animosity between the patient and the crew. Yeah, and so, and so why wouldn't can... it?
3: cause animosity in the mental health scenario and the exactly. situation. Absolutely. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. I think what I find with, like, I have no issue, going, I'll go to any any job and every job, I don't really care. Like, we're there for the patients at the end of the day. I care about patients. I mean, you I don't care. Don't care. I, don't, I don't care. what job I go to. Like, because that's, that's what we're paid for. It's what we do. It's what we're trained to do. I think what I find, um, I don't know if frustrating is the right word, but, I'll go with frustrating, about going to a mental health job is that, we, we're we just limited in what we can do. Our resources, mm. our, our uh, you know, I've spent hours and hours and hours on seeing, you know, mental health jobs before trying to come up with the best resolution for the patient and you try and refer them to all the proper channels and all the proper... Because realistically, going to A&E is definitely not the answer in the majority of the cases. You know, people don't need to go and sit in four plus... And it's not four hours, let's be honest. However many hours it is in the waiting room of an A&E or in a cubicle or wherever it is they end up getting put... For X amount of hours waiting for a review from the psych team, when that's just going to upset and destabilize how they are. And we try all these different referral pathways, but I find them very obstructive. Like in trying to pass over referrals, you just don't get what you're hoping for. And then, you know, you've then got to pass that back to the patient. And then you spend all this time going round and round in this circle. And then you end up being left with that same outcome of hospital, and you just feel useless. I think that's it. It's, we're there to help people, and then suddenly you're, as the clinician, put into this situation of helplessness, aren't you?
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. i sorry, just no, cut, no. cut you off there, Tom. No, you didn't. That's no, right. Just it's about w- time. To... <laughs> <laughs> someone's got <laughs> it. Someone's got, someone's it. got it. Um, I just wanted to sort of speak to that point, really, because, um, and also going back to what you said, Poppy, about the the sort of individual mindset. I think. I think that's important focusing on what you can do as an individual because some of these things that we're going to talk about you know waiting lists stigma they're often due to big systemic issues um, there isn't always an awful lot that we can do about that as individuals but what we do have control over is how we present to those individual patients and, and what our attitude is like going into that job um, and the point that I made earlier about I think everyone in in every job and every profession is always doing the best they can. I mean, most people don't wake up in the morning and think, I'm gonna do a really crap job today, right? Mm. Most people are doing the best they can with the resources that they have. And all of that that you said, Sam, about like frustration, Mm. waiting lists, referrals, I imagine there's some compassion fatigue in there, you know, being (laughs) overworked, understaffed, all of that massively impacts how we respond to Mm. patients as well. but yeah, I, I really like what you said, Poppy, about that sort of mindset and you know going into that, that job with thinking about that individual.
0: Yeah, Sam gets physically fatigued as well with uh, the lack of sleep. <laughs> 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 yeah,
3: just, just, tell my thanks, sir.
0: So um, <laughs> yeah. moving on from uh, your experiences in the ambulance service, have you ever been sectioned before, voluntarily or even against your will? Because it would be good uh, to talk about um even if you haven't but people's experiences of that and what they think of that
2: yeah yeah absolutely so um thankfully i've never been sort of uh you know had inpatient treatment um on in a voluntary or compulsory manner um but i have been under a a 136 section um, not actually f- spoken about this before, so quite uh, a little bit nerve wracking, actually, oh, okay. if I'm completely honest. But really happy to talk about it. Oh, that we appreciate. Um, oh, so yeah, this was this is probably back about 2017 or so now, and I'd made quite a, a public, traumatic attempt to end my life, and the ambulance service were called. Um, at the time, I was working for them, so I was absolutely mortified that any of this would get back to work. Yeah. Um, Finally was seen by a police officer because I refused to seek the poor ambulance service. Um, and we agreed to to get me down to the local hospital. Um I was dropped off there and I absconded, as you guys have probably experienced many times yeah, in, in yeah. Good your work. Um, and it was shortly after then I was I was found again and, and I was sectioned because I was just so sort of determined to, to end my life. Um and I think that that experience at the time was, it was quite traumatic, quite disempowering. Um, Really humiliating actually at the hospital, sort of the the process of things that they take from you and sort of the room that you're put in, it's it's very dehumanising. Yeah. Um, But equally, in hindsight, I think it needed to be done because I... I, I just didn't have anything else on my mind. Um, yeah. And I think that I probably would have gone on an end of my life if something hadn't have happened. So it's, yeah, it's a really a really tricky one, that one. It's a really fine line between, you know, disempowering someone, but also keeping them safe.
0: That's it, yeah. It's like when there's an intervention that needs to be done and when, when it's to an extreme where you might end up killing yourself, I suppose the those interventions have to almost equalise that, and so putting you in a room, or not you, but well, just everyone in a in a room with with nothing, almost sometimes needs to be done because yeah. there's always something that someone could use to hurt themselves. Mm. It's a difficult one, and but I don't know, like really, I mean, I, when I've been into like one, three, six weeks, and you know, I'm sure all of our listeners the the patients that we've come across in the biggest crises always end up getting sectioned under a 136 um, but you go to the 136 suite and it literally looks like a prison mm. and feels
2: like one too
0: yeah yeah exactly yeah, yeah. right down to the big heavy doors do you know yeah. what I mean? it's proper yep. and like the like. and you know even down to like some i've seen some of them have like the metal bars outside the mm. glass that you know that like the glass that doesn't break you can literally throw a rocket at it and it just won't break cuz they're just so bulletproof um, and and you think to yourself, you know, that that person is is like they need to be humanized or to, or yeah. How them. is this room yeah.
3: any better for their mental health? Exactly. Mm. Yeah.
0: And and then they go in there and I don't know, maybe half the time, in my experiences, they kick off, they start throwing things everywhere, and people go, yeah, God, they're really bad. And you think, well, actually, this has just made the whole situation worse. And then when you mix it with all you all you need is one person like that one police officer or that one ambulance person to just say the wrong thing or just give you the wrong attitude um, because you know mm. they just they're just not doing the right thing they're not good at their job or whatever and and that that's it you know that that's just completely screwed everything up and you know you can build a rapport with with patients really really well a police officer walks onto the truck and boom it just Gets completely taken away. I'm not. That's nothing against police officers, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but you know, or anyone, or like even a relative.
3: The officer's listening. His registration number
0: is. (laughs) 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 But um, but, yeah, you know, or even like a a patient's relative or something like that. But yeah, and then I suppose even just like when when that police officer turns around and goes, "Oh, you know, we're going to section you under this," and they give you their spiel it almost feels like you're being arrested as well. Yeah. Does it feel like that?
2: Yeah, yeah, it really does, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and
0: then yeah, they're like, oh, have I done something wrong? And then, you know, when whenever a police officer says, oh, you know, you don't worry, you haven't done anything wrong, you still can't fully feel like... You're- it's yeah. almost
3: criminalising the act, yeah. isn't it? And, yeah, making you feel like, yeah.
1: I also feel it's always a little bit disingenuous when you're interacting with the police and they say, you haven't done anything wrong. I'm like, okay, cool, but why are you here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: it. Do you think yeah. it would be... um better or nicer or sort of more beneficial for ambulance staff to be able to section people
2: yes 100% yeah yeah absolutely um a lot in my training i get asked you know if there's a mental health emergency who should i call and for some reason everybody seems to think that that we're calling the police and i'm like well I no it's a, it's a medical it emergency yeah um I, it's always like it's always referral from police or something yeah. like that it seems to
1: be yeah call even, pass through from police control yeah and yeah. even just in a lot of like thing is we end up getting called for like social issues the Mm. ambulance always ends up getting called for social issues that we then hand back to the police but the police get called for stuff that is definitely an ambulance issue Mm. and especially mental health is that everybody thinks that the police are the ones
2: to deal with it Mm. and no (laughs) don't really know where that's come from I wonder if it's just sort of a bit archaic you know you think suicide used to be illegal yeah it hasn't been since 1961 Um, I don't know, maybe maybe it sort of stems from there, maybe historically police did deal with mental health more. Yeah, I don't know. I
0: I wonder if it's also because you know how, and especially the NHS, all you need is one thing to happen and then all of a sudden everything changes, right? Mm. And I don't know whether someone tried to catch someone when they were like about to stab themselves or You know, or they got into a bit of a kerfuffle. An ambulance person got injured, and boom, we need the police to come to all of these mental health emergencies. And the Met Police, I was going to say they're taking the opposite stance now, aren't they? Where they
3: are not responding unless it's life or limb.
0: That's it, yeah. And and initially it got quite a bad response, but to be honest, I think it it works. It's better because you just you know that you don't have to worry about the police. And because a lot of the time the police turn up, and it's not always their fault, but the patient's like. Why is the police turning up and we don't we don't get told that the police is is rocking up they just they just turn up and uh, and they're like oh what, what? and then, and then the patient's like, have you have you called the police on me like and then and then it, yeah, sort it of smashes in. that
3: rapport that you've built, mm, doesn't it exactly, like, oh. yeah
1: and also just the the like visual for people's neighbors and stuff like that if mm. you've got an ambulance and then you've got maybe two police cars and then they're like, oh my whole mm. street can see this.
3: I don't um, want them to know what's going on. There's a trust, I can't remember which one it is now, um, so I'm not going to name them because I can't remember. (laughs) But there's a trust (laughs) that runs a a mental health car and they posted on uh, social media recently, on their social media channels, that they've just got their latest batch of mental health cars and they're all unmarked vetoes. that because of that reason of they don't want to turn up outside the address of someone suffering a crisis and then them to have to then worry about oh my god what are my neighbors gonna think what is you know such and such gonna think and, they phrased and so they've it taken really that beautifully
1: that as well and it, they they said i saw the same post and it was just phrased really nicely mm. and i can't for the life of me remember what it was now but it's just like this sort of unobtrusive car that mm-hmm. will turn up and obviously, you've still got people who are qualified to be there, but you don't look like there's anything drastic going on, and it sort of can hold a mm. can hold a street to not knowing your
2: your personal issues. It's more discreet, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's Absolutely. what I'm looking yeah. for. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, I, I mean, think I think it's a great idea. I, I think, I mean, I personally don't think there's ever a need for police on mental health calls unless there is, you know, aggression or violence against another person. I used to despair at these calls that we'd have when I worked at the ambulance service and uh, there would be somebody who was self-harming and we need to call the police because it's a weapon. Yeah. Well, of course it's a weapon, they're they using it on themselves. Yeah, um, yeah I just think that the police, they're not trained to deal with those kinds of situations and it... I think it really just adds to the stigma that we're trying to move away from when it comes to mental health. It's, it's, it's not a criminal it's not a criminal act, you know? Mm.
0: That's it. And, you know, you can weaponise anything as well, can't yeah. you? Like, you know, I, I've got a fork in my bag to eat my lunch later. You know, <gasps> that could be something that... Uh that I could use as a weapon.
1: Can't carry around a concealed fork. That's very dangerous. Yeah, that's
0: it. But then like, you know, you work with people and it goes, oh you know, if he's got his
3: lunch with the fork, it's okay. But if it's a fork on its own then we we're gonna have to talk. It's (laughs) that context again. Yeah it really (laughs) is it is a fork just on its own but anyway. (laughs) But
0: but yeah, you know, it says oh you know, patient is self harming with a razor and they go, Oh yeah, we're gonna need the police on this and you're thinking, this is embarrassing. Mm. You know and you, you get there, and this this poor bloke or, or girl is is like having one of the worst days of their life. And you're like, oh, you know, I'm, I think that you might hurt me, even though you're, they're not. They're sitting in their bedroom, yeah. you know, bawling their eyes out, bless them. And then, and then, and then you go, oh yeah, oh well, should we stand down the police? Because this is a bit embarrassing. But then you know?
3: throw it the other way round, where they're not going to harm you. They said I've no intention to harm you, but they are sat there in front of you, actively harming themselves. And if you try and get close, they've still got that sharp. That you, that are you going to wrestle that off them? What are you going to do to? Because you don't want them to harm themselves, of course you no. don't. You know how are you going to? Is that our role? Um, you know, in terms of our safety, or actually, do we need someone like the police who can use the appropriate? You're just playing devil's advocate, you know, who can use the appropriate yeah, sort of cool. restraint and.
2: I don't think it should ever stuff. be anyone's responsibility to stop someone self-harming. Mm-mm. Um, I don't think that should ever be. The goal or condition of of supporting somebody who self harms, um, and I know that goes against a lot of our natural instincts because we want we want yeah, to protect yeah. people we want to keep them safe, right? But actually, it's it's a coping strategy, and I think that's what sometimes people fail to understand. And if we take someone's coping strategy away from them, they're potentially going to resort to something that's that's far more dangerous. Right. Um. I don't think that we ever have a right to to tell somebody to stop harming or. You know to to tell them to stop um unless we've got something better to offer them people self-harm because it it works and mm. I, I know people don't want to hear that but it works on 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 a level it's it's meeting a need for them right um so we have to think about how can we meet that need through another way that might be safer or, or healthier but that decision always has to come from on the person themselves
3: are there other evidence-based like trialed and tested methods that do work to to pull away from self-harm and
2: um so there's there's lots of sort of i guess suggestions and again the the sort of core of this is that um stopping should never be a, a goal or, or a condition right right um there are things like harm minimization techniques delay techniques alternate sort of coping strategies, um, minute strategies I, I found quite helpful. So just when I felt the urge to self-harm, I'd set a timer for 60 seconds, and I'd say, I'm, I'm not gonna self-harm for 60 seconds, and I'm gonna see how I feel. And the point of that isn't necessarily to, to not self-harm after those 60 seconds, it's not to do something really amazing and productive with my time, but it's about getting through those 60 seconds unscathed, Right. So that I can then put in some coping strategies and and hopefully be a little bit more more regulated and then once I started doing those sixty seconds, I built up a little bit of confidence in myself that I could manage, and that will get longer and longer and longer um but also different different things work for different people, and I always really encourage people to just be curious and just go through trial and error and if mm. something doesn't work don't don't be disheartened, you know um you know breathing exercises for example five years ago i would have laughed in your face don't don't give me a breathing exercise it's not going to work it's it's, i was going from crisis to crisis don't don't tell me to breathe um now now where i'm more stable it's one of my core coping strategies so you know they they change over time as well and it's just it's it's so unique to to the individual um but yeah, I mean, I could talk about self harm all day. I do, I do courses on on understanding self harm, um, but I think, I think trying to recognise that behaviour is a form of communication. What is that person trying to communicate to me? And and usually underneath that behaviour is, is is an unmet need. Mm-hmm. So what 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 is it that they're getting from self harming? And you know, for some people that'll be communication. For some people it'll be connection. It might be self punishment. Um, you know it could be a whole sort of host of things but um, you know once once we sort of understand that then we can look at how we can meet that need in in another way Um, but yeah not 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 making you know any assumptions that the the person wants to stop because they they might not want to Um, it might be working for them and you can only change that behavior when you know when you're ready to do so I feel like I've gone off on a little bit of a tangent there. No, <laughs> no, no. no. Do
0: you know what?
3: Yeah, perfect. This what we, is, uh, it's good to know. This is the education that we don't get, isn't it? I think it's... Yeah. You know, and, and I think that's part of, like, breaking that whole stigma. It's just education, isn't it? And, and helping clinicians and everyone to understand better. Because we don't. We're not... We're, unless you are a mental health specialist, you, you're just not educated on this at all. Mm. Like, what you're telling me now, I'm what I'm, I'm like 13 years into the into the job and then, like, I'm still like did not know that like you know what I mean like that's that's wild yeah
0: cuz I I've always felt a little bit bad and I'm glad that you've just said what you just said there Olivia because um when I go to patients who are like actively self harming in front of them in front of us I always sit back and I'll say it's okay like if you you do what you need to do and I'll just carry on chatting chatting to you and wow. Sometimes they, they, they draw a bit of blood. You know, blood doesn't like out or anything. Mm. But you know, sometimes they, they can cause a. Wound We're gonna have to bleep that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I <can always> <laughs> um, we'll put a bullhorn over I'm it. It's, it's fine. It
0: <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, sometimes they draw a bit of blood, and I just think to myself, okay, look, at the moment, they're not critically, they're not dying, like physically, right? Sure. So, so, do I need to intervene? And I think to mm. myself. It's so unsafe for me to tackle this person to the ground when they've got like a razor or a knife yeah. or something. And I think what they're doing to themselves right now is is uh, more safe than me trying to tackle them because they could go deeper into their arm or deeper into their chest or into their neck or even yeah. my body parts, you know, and then it will just create this catastrophe. And And I can tell you now, every single time, after, you know, sometimes a minute, sometimes five minutes, of them sort of like yakking away at their arm or their leg or their tummy or something, they generally stop um, after a while with me just saying, it's okay, you know, mm. I'll, I'll be here, you know, to, to catch you if you fall kind of thing, if, if, if you do something really bad, but, you know, and I'll just chat to them whilst they're doing it. And my crewmates that, that I work with are like, you are harsh, mate. And I'm like, but what else are we going to do? I don't really understand what I was going to ask you to get come back is. from
3: your crewmates for it, yeah. 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 yeah.
0: And uh, and it's not me being harsh, like obviously it would be better for me if, well, and for them if they didn't, um, if they weren't hurting themselves at that time, but what what were you going to do? Sometimes there's just nothing you can do, is there, you know, mm. um, and that's, and for me, I think those, that's one of those situations. But no, but yeah, no, it's, I think it's just so interesting mm. and I hope uh, the people listening, the next time they go to someone who's self-harmed or uh, is actively self-harming, that they sort of change the way that they think and the way that they act around that because... That is new information to me. So yeah, that's uh, Anto Sam, who's thirteen years into life. I mean, the Ante- into life, into life. <laughs> <laughs> so, good. do you um, do you still experience like relapses or times where you're going, oh, this is a bad day? Because uh, I spoke to a mental health nurse and and I and I asked him like, how do we fix someone? with a mental health problem and it was really this job was really difficult so my mind was already sort of tired about everything and I was like how do we fix this problem with this patient and he went you can't he said um, a mental health problem is is something that you need to maintain not fix whereas you know a physical problem you can you a broken leg have an operation it's fixed and you can run on it again a mental health problem is something that they're always going to have and it's it's something that they need to maintain not fix and and maintain and fix were like the two words that stuck with me. Was that the right thing to say to me? And and also, yeah. Do you still experience like up and down days and stuff like that? And how 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 you cope with those?
2: Yeah. So there was there was a lot of questions
0: there. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's quite
2: alright. So um, I suppose I can reflect on the feedback that you had from a mental health professional. And I want to just put a disclaimer out that I'm I'm not a mental health professional. Yeah. Um, and and there are. Certain elements of that that I, I do agree with. Um, I I think we can't fix people because we're not we're not broken as human beings. We're yeah, we are true. we're products of our experience. Um, so my diagnosis is really underpinned by a lot of childhood trauma um, that was then compounded by having to look after a, a family member with um, the the same diagnosis actually um, about the age of sort of 17 onwards. So I agree with that element of it. Um I also agree with the management. I think I think mental health illnesses are a lot about management and acceptance. Um I use the word cured in a loose sense, but I also believe that people can some people can be cured or, or healed from from mental illnesses. Um I think whenever we talk about recovery, like recovery is so subjective, like what recovery is to one person. Won't necessarily mean recovery to another.
0: That's true. And
2: it, like, it's it's even the same with with physical health. You know, like, is somebody recovered from a condition if they're on medication or are they managing that? Are they maintaining it? That's a good yeah. Point. Very um, good point.
3: Yeah. Do you have any health problems? Yeah. No, 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 no. Oh, what'd you take the ramipril for? Oh, my high blood pressure. Right. So you suffer hypertension then? No, no, no. That's why I'm on medication.
2: Yeah,
1: don't have that. Right. I
3: don't have that anymore. Mm. <laughs> it's yes, that, isn't it? Um, yeah. 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 Yeah.
2: So I think I think sort of for me personally, it's it's about yeah, it's about management, it's about accepting where you are, um, and, and I think overcoming the difficulties that, that you do have. Um I have a real love hate relationship with Diagnosis Anyway, and that's a, a whole other rabbit hole that that we oh, could fair. go down. Maybe for the next episode. Yeah, maybe for the next <laughs> yeah, yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I sort of see it described as sort of like
1: peaks and troughs, mm. and some peaks and troughs are deeper and bigger than others, but you're as long as you're maintaining like a vague plateau, mm. you're doing really well, yeah um compared to somebody who's maybe in the middle of a trough, yeah, um but obviously with everyone, it sort of varies as to how.
2: Yeah, I think again, you know, it's very individual. It's unique. I, I call myself as as in recovery at the moment, and that's because I'm not having crises regularly. So the last time that I self harmed was over eighteen months ago. Mm. I haven't tried to end my life for about four years now. Um, whereas at a certain point in my life, they were things I was self harming daily to cope. Mm. Um, I was having a, a suicidal crisis probably on a monthly basis, and and that's you know quite a way behind me, but do I have bad days? Yeah. Everyone, everyone has bad days. Um, and I'm not, I, I think I'm not naive enough to think I won't ever have a crisis again, but I'm also hopeful enough to think that I won't. If that does that yeah, make sense? Yeah, no, makes yeah. sense? Yeah.
3: yeah.
0: No, that's true. Cause that's, I suppose it's almost what you need to then also get through the next day. Right. Mm. It's like I do the same thing sometimes. I don't know. Actually, it's not the same, it's completely different. But like, <laughs> <laughs> no, <it's laughs> made that first statement yeah. completely wrong. I do no, the same thing. It. Well, I don't actually. It's, uh,
3: I do the opposite, <laughs> opposite. absolutely opposite. <laughs> no, no, I don't do the opposite, but like, it's, it's kind of
0: different. But like, you know, but we all do it, you know, like to, to get through the, the struggles that we're going through, uh, whether it's like money or whether it's just, just general tiredness, whether it's like pain or anything. You do get through it by sort of doing things like that, don't you? By, by saying, oh, you know, I haven't had, had this for so long, so it shouldn't, it's not going to happen to me. You know, like, you talk to people like Richard Branson and stuff. Well, you might, but I do. Um, and <laughs> a, I mean, a chance you get him to sponsor the podcast, Tommy, Yeah. you <laughs> uh, He said no. So. Aww. Aww. But, yeah, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, and even they say, like, you know, they tell themselves about their own successes and stuff every day, and then they, they sort of help, that helps with their successes. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's Manifestation. Manifestation, yeah so um another thing uh, that the ambulance service has, and I think that it's something that's been going on for a while, but it's fairly small is um everyone calls it the mental health car, and it's a car that has a uh, a mental health practitioner, sometimes it's like a nurse or or actually, I don't really know,
3: I think it's mostly nurses, oh, a nurse, yeah, I' assume yeah. yeah,
0: um, and a paramedic on it, some of them are mixed with a with a um a police officer as well. Do you think those are beneficial to patients? Um, sort of having a joint response unit type thing?
2: Yeah, I think I think to be honest, anyone that's had any additional training in mental health is, is gonna be of, of benefit. Um, I've never personally you know, experienced any of those services. I don't think they were sort of in my area when I was having crises. Yeah. Um but you guys will will know how little training you have around mental health and I think it goes back to that point that we talked about earlier you know, when someone picks up the phone and they phone 999 they think that you arriving are going to be a professional who has had that training in mental health and you're going to know how to, to help and there just seems to be a real sort of gap there so I think anybody that has that, that additional training or you know specializes in mental health is great and and also not just in in the theory but also in in practice so yeah. you you know you might be able to tell me a little about what you you've sort of learned in in your degree but um i find that a lot of people are maybe trained in in the theory but when it comes to having a supportive caring conversation most people find it really difficult they you know they don't know what to say they're worried about putting their foot in it doing the wrong thing Um, And and frankly, some people that I train in suicide first aid are probably better qualified than your average GP to then have a conversation about suicide. For some reason, we don't seem to be upskilling our professionals in these really important skills.
0: No, it's so true though, because like you say, the mental health training that I got um, is the pathology behind things like bipolar and depression and basically all all the different mental health disorders. And they teach you all about it, but they don't actually teach you how to, how to talk to the person and another thing that I find is that um, someone having a crisis with bipolar compared to a crisis with a personality disorder are two very different and you might have you, you really need to learn how to or probably practice how to talk uh, to those different caliber of people and um, yeah, but we, we don't we don't get that, do we
1: I mean our training in college because obviously I haven't done the whole parrot thing yet as many people know um, was half a day not even that I think it was two okay. hours Uh, from a guy who to be honest with, it, with you was actually very good and was very like just great at explaining what we need to do and all that but it was two hours and then a little on paper quiz true or false quiz mm-hmm. and that was mm-hmm. all we got and they're like off you go Go deal with these people who are in the middle of a crisis and you have no background it in that. It just blows
2: my mind. Yeah, it absolutely blows my mind. I mean, I don't know about now. Obviously, I'm about four years out of date from the ambulance service. But I would have said when I was there, a good 50% of the calls were, were mental health related.
3: So I, I would say like now, um, so the ambulance service now offers mental health first aid courses. Mm-hmm. You can you can apply for them and, and they do sponsored CBD for it. Um, so that's a thing. Um, but I think training is getting better. So the university that I attended, uh, I'll, I'll sing their praises on this one. They One of our modules within our degree was, was a mental health module. Uh, so we had to complete a, an assignment on that and attend many lectures and we had some actual uh, simulation days with scenarios around mental health, uh, both Colleagues with mental health, patients with mental health, and and you know, and it was useful to an extent, but it's it's nowhere near real world scenario. You know, it, it's nowhere. It's again that whole theory versus practice. You know, sort of uh, argument. But it, it it's getting there slowly. I think our university was one of the first universities in the country to have a mental health module, and that was probably down to the lead of the course um, of the whole parent program there at that university, who's very pro mental health as a paramedic herself um and is is leading the way where she can to to better our training as as uh, you know in, in the mental health field um so i think i think it it's slow and sure we we had a two-week mental health placement as well um which i found really insightful i thought that was amazing oh, i've heard um,
0: good things about that as well from people from your course yeah
3: honestly it, it was really good so we spent two weeks in the mental health unit um with, like, varying different teams from the um, assistant psychologists through to the occupational therapists, um, the activities coordinators, all all the different sort of members of the team. And and it was really insightful because what it did for me as a pre-hospital clinician was it showed me um, the reason and, like, for for that delay, for the the reasons to why... Because, like, we're, we're very much, like why isn't this being done now? Now, now, now. That, that's the attitude that we have as pre clinicians because we're used to, like we said, fixing the problem now. You know, you can have a patient with an MI, you take them to the cath lab, the problem's fixed. Mm. Whereas with mental health, it's that longer sort of journey and, and that longer sort of struggle. And you see it a little bit more realistically when you go and do these placements because you sit in the uh, MDT meetings and you see them discuss patient by patient, case by case. And you're like, Okay, fine. I understand this a little bit more now as to why it takes so long and why there is such a backlog of beds and why you can't get everyone that wants to be admitted admitted because it it's just that lengthy process.
2: And people would probably be quite surprised to realise how little therapeutic work is done mm. within hospital setting. So early two thousands was when we closed sort of the old asylums and introduced community care, and the recovery rates went through the roof for mental health, and that's because people don't do the vast majority of their recovering in hospital Mm. um there's very little going on in terms of therapy it's about getting them stable and, and back out to the community so um
0: did you know that bullhorns and sirens podcast is affiliate members of cpd me the most dynamic online personal cpd portfolio going and we have secured a discount code for all of you listeners if you just head to our website www.pocketclinician.co.uk and you can see on our home page there'll be a link going to CPD Me. follow that link and type in the discount code bullhorns cpd and you'll get 50% off your first year's subscription enjoy the rest of the episode
3: What advice would you offer to any person suffering from or struggling to cope with their own mental health right now, whether that be someone at the beginning of a battle or someone that's quite far into it? uh, You know, what or who should be their first point of call?
2: Advice-wise, I don't like to give advice because, you know, what could be really well-intentioned advice for somebody who is mentally well could be super counterproductive for somebody who's mentally unwell. Um, And also, I think it sort of falls into that realm of I know better than than you know yourself. Um and again, not not a mental health professional, but I am going to go with something that probably sounds really cliché and it is it's just not to give up. Like there are so many times looking back where I I wanted to throw in the towel and I, I just did not see any light at the end of the tunnel and I was making tiny tiny progress, but progress no matter how small is progress and you know i hope with people you know that are now sharing more stories about experiencing severe mental health conditions and going on to still achieve great things i hope that does give people hope but just if if you can hang on to that hope um you know it it, it really does get better it really does get better i know it doesn't feel like it um but you'll get there
0: is time a healer
2: i think time's a healer in the sense that um you learn you you learn what helps what doesn't help um you know you learn new coping strategies i think you know when 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 we're kids we we learn a little bit about the human body we'll learn how to take care of ourselves physically but typically we don't we don't learn about our minds we don't learn about our emotions we don't learn how to self-regulate yet we're all expected sort of as adult human beings to know how to how to do these things. So I, I think time heals in, in that sense, yeah. in that it gives us the opportunity to, to grow and learn new things.
0: Yeah, no, it's interesting you said that, because um, my daughter, she's two, she goes to a nursery, and when we went to their like open day, it's basically like a little sales pitch to try and get you to go to their nursery. <clears throat> they, um, they talk about them trying to teach the kids how to regulate their emotions, because it's something that kids just can't can't do and probably most adults mm-hmm. as well actually um and it's really good and the the tools and the things that they do to help a kid who's just screaming because you know like when you see a kid in the in the in the aisle of asda's screaming the house down um it could be something as simple as the mum didn't let them have an ice cream but they don't know how to regulate their emotions so they just just let it all out and just scream to the top of their lungs Um, But yeah, so the nursery teaches the kids how to regulate their emotions and also like they do things like hugging and breathing exercises. I mean, this is with a two-year-old and and I've even seen it. She'll get annoyed because she's already had a yogurt today and I'll say, no, you're not having another yogurt and she'll go, uh, and she'll try to hit me. And and so and then we'll might, do might come too. on, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and 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 then I'll go no come on we don't we don't hit because it hurts and then I'll, and then we do breathing together and it just calms her down really quick and I think it's it's learnt it's a learnt behaviour from the nursery mm. not the hitting. Do you know what it would have calmed down quicker for me? <laughs> yeah, another, another yogurt. yogurt. <laughs> yeah, totally yeah. Right. Yeah. but yeah, and, and you know we see
3: Sam's style apparently <laughs> <laughs>
1: Not all, that's, that's... Reward the behaviour.
0: Reward the behaviour. <laughs> but no, but I just think it's it's quite good that um, nurseries maybe are starting to do it I now. it, Or yeah. it might just be the only one, I don't know. Obviously, she goes to the best nursery. Are we spot- <laughs> sponsored
1: yeah. by your nursery <laughs> Yeah,
0: well, I feel we should
3: be at this yeah. point. Oh, Zorin's has brought you by... <laughs> yeah, the nursery.
0: Was yeah, but
2: no, I I think it is something that is slowly being introduced. Um, I don't do quite as much work with schools as I used to, but um, it is something I'm seeing and hearing about more in terms of being introduced to like the syllabus and um, you know, even like your PSHE lessons, that sort of stuff.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: But you know, talking for you and I, I, I doubt any of us sitting here. Remember learning anything about our, our emotions or our mind? Or. No, definitely no. not. I, was just thinking I that. mean,
3: you just brought me back there saying PHSE. God, I forgot that existed. Right back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's not
2: putting
1: putting condoms on bananas and stuff? Yes. Yeah. 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 I remember those. That's about as good as it
0: got. Yeah. Ah, oh, see, I went to a Catholic squad. Didn't learn that, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. which is uh, which is why I've got eighteen children. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but no, it's, it's 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 mad. Like another thing that um, I suppose we struggle with as a society because it's a new thing as well and it affects young people um, is is social media um, and it affects us in so many different ways um, but do you how do you feel like social media affects specifically the mental health of of not just younger people but everyone
2: yeah oh, I'm so divided on this like I see both side of the coins I think I think of the coins all the coins all of, of the, the coins, coins. Um, <laughs> I think I think it can be very negative I think we all know not many people are there posting their lowlights. You get all the highlights and the great things, and it can elude you into thinking that everybody else's life is fantastic when you're maybe sat at home on your own the Friday night. Mm. Um, and we know social media is is not the reality, but I think particularly when you're a young person, actually scrap that. Even even now, <laughs> even myself, I can look at social media sometimes and think, oh my my life is really rubbish in in, yeah. in comparison, you know. But then. Equally, I think it does provide a lot in the way of connection and also the sharing of experiences. Um, again, I'm going to caveat that with it. That's not always helpful because you get the sort of TikTokification of of mental illness. Mm. But I've also experienced and, and seen how powerful it is hearing about other people's experiences and and particularly some of those maybe you know more severe diagnoses that the the outlook is quite for hearing people talk about having those diagnoses and, and not being restricted by them and still going on to do great things so yeah
0: I suppose you can look at it two ways because yeah like like you say because you can look at someone who's um had a really difficult battle with their mental health and now they're they're doing really well at the moment they're I don't know on holiday or doing something that they just couldn't do before Mm. and you can look at it two ways you can go oh that's really good that they've done that maybe i could get out of my battle and and do that or you Mm. can look at it and go oh well look at them you know i can't i can't do that I, i can't see myself doing that and then i suppose yeah you can look at it two ways can't you i i follow um a few people that talk about um how to eat well and how to exercise well how to doesn't listen like to that. them, just follows them. Just follows them, yeah. But yeah, and I suppose, would you say that that's healthy social media? I don't know. Well, I mean, well, I mean they're, they're talking
3: about healthy eating and healthy yeah. lifestyles, so that's yeah. healthy. As
0: opposed to them just flaunting I mean, that could equally lead to
3: unhealthiness, you know, in terms of obsession over body image and, mm. you know, diet, exercise and things like that. Because it's, it's about having an equal balance, isn't it, mm. I think? I found, um,
1: um, I've done a little, quite recently, done a little uh, social media cleanse and I have focused what, is going to appear on my Instagram feed, either from who I'm following or sort of the stuff that can pop up on stuff that I enjoy. So at the moment, it's more geared towards, like, generally being a bit more thoughtful about, like, how I go through the world and sort of a lot of, like, nature stuff and travel stuff, stuff that I'm just interested in and history, um, in order to find that when I go on social media... As well as like seeing my friends and what they're up to, I get this sort of influx of good stuff that I find more inspiring rather than sort of I di- I literally did the other day um unfollowed all the Kardashians I think I hope. sorry guys sorry <laughs> don't unfollow um, us don't unfollow us <laughs> um but like I unfollowed that type of person that was repeatedly coming up on my like for you page and all that type of thing it's hard isn't it
3: because the algorithm pushes stuff the algorithm your pushes way. it yeah and that, and I think that's it and I think. Like coming back on what Olivia said, it's that like it's social media is sort of I don't I don't want to say that it encourages uh, mental health, but it's like people put up it, it, these five things mean you've got ADHD. If you have these six traits, oh, you yeah. you've got this illness, and and this, and yeah. and then people latch to that and they? They go, oh my gosh, but that TikTok video. Maybe I do. I'll look into that more. And and I think there was um, there was a Panorama episode that I watched a while back. Where they investigated into this, how people like were going based on these like trends that they saw on social media, and then they would approach private companies to get a diagnosis because of the waiting list in the NHS. And these private companies were diagnosing them without consult of a doctor or you know a proper lengthy time that it takes to diagnose these sort of illnesses, prescribing them quite heavy medications which they would then have to stick to and you know that all stems from that initial social media start off point not saying social media but i use social media we're on social media you know all of us uh, both as a platform and as as a individually but yeah it's finding that healthy balance and i I quite like that you know cleansing your your feed yeah to to see what you want to see and to know what's healthy for you yeah
0: yeah Yeah, that's true
3: so guys, it's come to that point in the episode where we have our new little segment. It's not so new. Is it new? I don't know. Is it free. We're free free in now, I think, yeah. aren't we? So we'll still go new. Quickfire questions. We've still not come up with a name for this. I think we initially had 60 Seconds with Sam, but that was uh, laughed off by one of our previous guests. Um, so perhaps we should go for some time with Tommy or Poppy Pops Her Questions. I... I <laughs> I, I don't what? know what they our all, thoughts are. I going to say something else. In no, they're, they're, they're not great, are they? <laughs> Time with Tommy just sounds creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Poppy pops the question. No, Poppy pops her questions. Pops her question. Okay. He's I so think harming. time with Tommy sounds so sinister now. <laughs> now we're saying it the more, more you, and more. The more you say all of them, the <laughs> weirder they sound. It's why I've not repeated sixty <laughs> seconds of Sam.
0: I'm trying to keep that one. Let's phase that one out. <laughs> let's. Uh... I'm trying to say that to every patient now. Okay, come on, let's have some time with Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> come to hospital, you'll have plenty of time with Tommy.
3: Okay, I'm going to put it out there it, it, to, to anyone that's listening. All, all, two of our viewers. If you, if you have a better suggestion for what we can call this segment, please send it into us. Drop us a message, um, and and maybe your your suggestion will be what we call this segment.
1: Maybe you'll yeah. be the reason why we're successful. Not us. What was wrong maybe. with quick
2: fire questions?
3: Oh, it was never called quick fire questions. What,
2: what,
1: the, that's actually oh, that's I, that's probably
3: what. Yeah, I wrote that on the script just because I was like, well, call it quick fire questions. Okay. Yeah. Sure. I mean, I just. <laughs> <laughs> I put so much time into the time with Tommy <laughs> I did <laughs> all, of, all of tens it was so easy time really.
2: what was the last book you read I have a habit of starting books and leaving them about a quarter of the way through but oh, the last I book say... I read and finished is called The Myth of Normal and it's by Gaber Mate oh. mm. very interesting read thick old book but really interesting all about sort of trauma and yeah all that fun stuff What are you optimistic about in mental health right now? Um, I think just the general increased awareness of it, just among the general population. Um, I think it's helping combat some of that stigma and just moving towards it being on par with, with physical health. What are you most fearful of? I feel like I should say something like spider or heights, but honestly... I am really scared of making mistakes. I'm trying not to be, because that's how we learn. But if I'm being honest, mistakes. Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, If you could have dinner with two people, dead or alive, who would it
2: be and why? Uh, They'd be alive, because dead would be a bit boring. And I'd go with... (laughs) 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 They don't say much. (laughs) Fair, fair. Jim Carrey and Russell Brand. Yeah,
3: good choice. Jim
2: Carrey. Fair enough. Why? I just feel like they've experienced life. They've really experienced life. Yeah, um, yeah they've been through some They've some good stories to tell. I think they have a great perspective. I feel like they're both quite philosophical, but also humorous. Yeah. Uh, what person has had the biggest influence on your life to date? Um, I had to think about this quite a while. She's still
1: thinking. Still <laughs> <ringing>. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? In episode
3: eleven, <laughs>
2: uh... <laughs> Because as I as I say it, I'm like, if she hears this, she's really gonna cringe. But but genuinely, and, and Tommy, you've heard this story before, um, and I am gonna do a name drop. I had um I had a manager at CCAM, uh called Penny Green, who was just an absolute life changer. The the, the sort of reasonable adjustment she put in place for me when I was at a stage where I was about to lose my job has just been a massive catalyst for my recovery. Oh, that's very
0: sweet. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Penny. Yeah, she was really nice. I liked her.
2: What is one thing you would want more people to know? That a diagnosis is a description of where you are, not who you are.
0: Oh, that's powerful. That's yeah. You're welcome. That's more powerful than when Fiona Moore said respect. <laughs> So yeah, no, thanks for participating in the quick fire questions or long fire questions as they, as they <laughs> are. I hope, hope everyone knows a little bit more. And uh, yeah, I think that when you said uh, a diagnosis isn't um, a description of who you are, it's, it's, it's where you are, isn't it? Which is um, really powerful. So let's talk a bit about more uh, about change your minds training and, and your role um, as a, oh, you said you weren't a professional, but I suppose you probably are not a mental health professional, but what, well, professional in what?
2: Yeah, tra- I, I class myself as a you know a trainer. I mean, a I trainer. am I am going down the route of therapeutic stuff. I'm currently training as a hypnotherapist, so I'll oh, sort of oh, add cool. that to my my bow soon. But yeah, yeah.
0: I've had the um, hypnotherapy before. It's very good. Mm, we can talk about that excellent. later. Um, anyway, your website bio um, it says that you volunteer with a company called Shout, um, the the crisis text line service. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Because I've never heard about that, and and how people can access it. And the benefits of it and stuff like that.
2: Yeah. So, firstly, uh, my website is a little bit outdated, and I no longer volunteer for Shout. <gasps> However, I was a crisis volunteer for just over a year. Um, Shout is very similar to Samaritans, except it's a crisis text line service. So, I find it tends to be quite helpful for young people who are mm. usually attached to their phones, um, but also. It's sometimes easier for us to write things down rather than having to, you know, pick up a phone and, and call someone. So, um, yeah, text SHOUT to 85258 and there'll be a trained volunteer at the end of that ready to, to support you with
0: Oh sweet! Oh, wow.
2: whatever you need help with. Is
0: that
3: those people just sat at home, whatever, doing whatever they do, like... Are they there all the time, or do they like sign on yeah, and then sign a, off? And
2: it's a it's a twenty four seven service. Obviously, right. it's not the same person on twenty four seven. So people will, you know sign on and off. But yeah, yeah it's it's like the Samaritans in that it's twenty four seven. It's free. It's confidential. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Good one. Good mm-hmm. one
0: to use. So let's um talk about what you do now. So um, you run a company called Changing Minds Training. Can you tell us a bit about what that is and how and why it was founded?
2: Yeah, of course. So we're a, a workplace wellbeing training provider. Um, And I really set that up off of the back of my own personal experience more than anything else. Um, Shout out again to Penny. Uh, That was such a catalyst to my recovery, that conversation that I had. And um, I I basically just wanted to to train more people to be like Penny because it had such a a profound impact on me. Um, And we have a mission that's quite simple and it's making mental health an everyday conversation. So my idea is a world where we can say that we're feeling a bit stressed or a bit low in the same way we might if we had a headache or, or a cold.
0: So is it like what you would prefer to have as as a person uh, in terms of like uh, what you, what you, the training that you're offering people? Is it like the, you want to train everyone to be able to speak to the way that you'd like to be spoken to and dealt with? in that moment?
2: Yeah, so yeah, I'm just really equi- equipping people with the skills and the confidence to have those supportive conversations, to ask difficult questions, to, if they notice signs that somebody's struggling, um, to be proactive with that, to, to make that approach, um, and and just to keep it quite informal in the same way that, you know, we do with, with our physical health, if we might notice something's wrong with someone.
0: Yeah, no, to be fair, I mean, I think that I've definitely been that person that goes, oh, are they I think they're going through a rough time and I've, I've turned a blind eye to it. I don't know. I don't really know why, but yeah, maybe it was just the awkwardness of approaching that person, um, and stuff like that. But yeah, no, I suppose that would help everyone really, even, even mm. me to be fair. I might sign up to one of your courses. <laughs> um, so we can what, do it as
3: a uh, company, uh, day.
0: Company day. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> meets, uh, meets changing minds training. So what training have you taken, undertaken so far?
2: So, I've done all of my sort of accredited mental health training with an organisation called Mental Health First Aid England. Um, they're sort of the, the, the gold standard when it comes to mental health first aid. There's lots of other companies popping up doing their own thing, but you know, like everything, it comes to different levels of sort of quality. So, um, I, I do a range of their products, both adult and youth versions. Um, so, the, the full first aid course is a, a two day course. Um, They do like a shorter one day for workplaces and a a half day awareness. Um, There's also some training that's specific to managers. And then I've got the suicide first aid training which is a City and Guilds accredited course. Um, Recently done a little bit of work around neurodiversity. And obviously uh, my hypnotherapy training as well. But I'm yet to be signed off and and qualified just yet.
0: Yeah. And so with that, when you say about hypnotherapy, because you're training people to be mental health first aiders, right? That's right, yeah. So with the hypnotherapy, would you be like a hypnotherapist or would you be training people to do hypnotherapy?
2: No, that's right. I'd I'd be a hypnotherapist first yeah practice it a little bit myself before i teach anyone how to do it i think that's true Is <laughs> the end goal
3: to teach other people how to do it do you think or
2: no i don't think so hypnotherapy was sort of something that that fell into my lap it it came about as an opportunity and i didn't want to turn it down um not really sure what my long-term plans are with it yet but oh. um I'm, I'm i'm very happy with the sort of the training that, that i'm doing at the moment it's just like adding like you said more
1: strings to your bow you can't yeah it can't be a bad thing to add more stuff to what you know
3: absolutely so you mentioned uh you provide mental health first aid and suicide first aid Mm -hmm. i've never heard of suicide first aid before do you mind sort of what's the difference between the the two
2: yeah sure so mental health first aid is very similar to your, your physical first aid so anyone's done their physical first aid you'll have your abc mnemonic right mm-hmm. We have a an equivalent in in mental health first aid that's like an action plan that guides you through um the steps that you take when you're supporting somebody and um, mental health first aid is is it, i'd say it's, it's more general to mental health so we'll look at different diagnoses we'll look at um different crises and how to how to respond to those we look at a lot of the sort of inequalities and stigma and really building up people People's skills and confidence in having those conversations. Suicide First Aid is entirely focused around suicide, a lot more sort of in depth. Um, We look at how we form an intervention, how we create a safety plan, Um, and again, building up people's skills and confidence in in asking directly if somebody is thinking about suicide.
3: Right.
0: Yeah, because I often struggle with that sometimes, or not so much now actually, but I did especially when I first started out on the road it was a very weird question to ask someone like, do you want to kill yourself? And then rightly or wrongly, I've just, uh, I've just asked it like that. Like, you know, when, if they're not sp- being specific with what their plan is or something like that, um, I'll go through the questions like, um, do you, are you thinking about self-harm? Are you thinking about this? Are you thinking about, and then yeah, I'll just say, oh, are you thinking about kill- killing yourself? Or do you have thoughts of, of killing yourself and stuff like that? And I don't know whether it's, just because it's quite a bold question that people feel a bit uncomfortable with it. Is that I don't know if that's, if that's the right way to ask it. Is that what you would yeah, um, yeah, train absolutely. people to say? Yeah, yeah
2: so one of, one of the biggest misconceptions around suicide is this idea that using the word suicide or asking somebody directly if they don't already have thoughts can give them an idea they don't already have. And there's just no evidence clinically or anecdotally to suggest that's the case. And all of the evidence that we have about direct questioning supports that being the first step to getting somebody some help it it opens up that that conversation and i guess to 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 give you a little sort of few nuggets of information as to why um when we're asking somebody that direct question we're giving them permission to talk about something that is very taboo that we're conditioned not to talk about Mm -hmm. um if you think about tommy how hard it is for you to ask that question how uncomfortable it is imagine if you're the person that's thinking about suicide and you've got to summon up the strength to say i'm thinking about suicide
0: that's so true yes. it makes it an easy yes worse. or no question yeah
2: um and and the other thing that i always say to people it, within training is don't don't be afraid to ask that question because even if you ask someone and they say no i'm not thinking about that if they do start thinking about suicide in the future who do you think they're going to remember
0: exactly yeah
2: right and and actually over 20 percent of the population have have thoughts of suicide it's not uncommon you're actually more more likely to come across someone that's having thoughts of suicide than someone that's having a heart attack
0: um
2: and i think you know going back to our discussion earlier about the the lack of sort of training around mental health in the ambulance service i think that that shines a really bright light on the, the 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 gaps that we're missing
0: So Olivia runs a company called Changing Minds Training and she offers courses on mental health first aid and suicide first aid. For our listeners only, which is you, she is offering 50% off for the individual courses on mental health first aid and suicide first aid until the end of the year. So head to her website. It's www.changingmindstraining.com. Have a look at what course works for you and use discount code Bullhorns. 50 five, zero, and you can claim your 50% off your course enjoy the rest of the episode
3: so olivia with all the training you've undergone uh regarding mental health um how would you say this has helped you in understanding your own diagnosis and helping others with theirs
2: so I think I think it's really helped me understand mental health um, to you know a deeper extent. Um, I wouldn't say so much my diagnosis because personality disorders are still very controversial. They're quite complex, and it's not something that we delve into in in mental health first aid. Um, but it has really helped me. I think just just understanding that we all go through these struggles, um, you know, diagnosed or not people talk about them or not everybody has these difficulties in some way shape or form um and I think it's just helped me feel I say normal in the loosest of senses but just made me realize that I'm I'm just like anybody else that's gone through a a bit of a difficult time and I've needed a bit of help
0: yeah that's it because I I, what um what I found is that uh, I had a time a couple of years ago where uh I felt really down like and I've never felt like like that before and and I was like god like I just didn't want to do anything I'd just sit on the sofa all day do nothing just flick through my phone I just felt like like I just didn't care about anything I didn't didn't really eat much wasn't really drinking and then um luckily I just I don't know I, I've had a lot of support from like friends and family and stuff but yeah so I managed to sort of get out of it but I was like actually that's, that's kind of the similar, that's similar to how someone, uh, with, with or without a diagnosis would, would, would sort of deal with things with their own mental health. So actually, mm-hmm. and then it put things into perspective cause I was like, Oh, so everyone has mental health. Yeah. Um, same as physical health. Um, and it, it put things into perspective because I always looked at myself as someone who is a while. I don't have any mental health problems. And I, I always used to, until then, because I was like, actually everyone does. You can wake up in the morning and go don't really don't really feel like working today or something like that just because you don't want to jump off a bridge it doesn't mean that you don't have a mental health problem Mm. or not mental health but yeah do you know what i mean well it's like physical
3: health isn't it like you said we all have a baseline of physical health we all have a baseline of mental health and whether you fluctuate in high extreme peaks and troughs or whether you just fluctuate with little blips along the way yeah. I think everyone does, you know, and there's some that admit it to themselves, there are some that are aware of it, and there's others that just don't see it at all. They're mm-hmm. just like, oh, well, I just thought I was just... In... Just a bit down. Just, yeah, just a bit down, didn't yeah. want to go to work today. Yeah. Like, that's it, you know.
2: I think we, we all have mental health problems. We don't all necessarily have an illness or a disorder. Yeah. Um. And, and the other point, just to, to pull out of that, is is that term mental health. I think there's so much negativity associated with the term mental health. We, we say it and we think of... Of, of you know illness or, or despair but actually like you say it's the same as physical health There's an, it's a neutral term mm. it can be good it can be bad it can be anything in between and 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 we all have it regardless of where it sits on that spectrum
0: yeah no that's so true um so going back to um your company you said that you're quite happy with things about where you are and stuff like that, but have you is there any ideas in there that you're thinking, yeah, this is this is my end goal or or what your next step is? I know you've got the hypnotherapy and things, but where do you see like the growth of your company?
2: Great question. So if you'd asked me this about a year ago, I would have said I wanted to be like the Coca Cola of mental health training. Yeah. But I've realised sure. how many politics are involved uh, in, in in those big companies. So Right now, this year, I'm taking a bit of time away from the business. I'm focusing on a lot of sort of personal stuff um, and getting myself into a place where I'm ready to take on a team. So my idea would be probably a team of maybe about 10 of us um, and to be partnered with sort of top-tier clients. And by that, I mean the ones that you they actually are having me come in because they care about well-being not because they just want to yeah. tick a box um, and then the other element to the business which I'm I'm really set on having is a sort of charitable arm so oh, yeah. when I first started out I, I wanted to do everything I wanted to help everyone and I quickly realized you can't run a business that way Liv um, what I was really passionate about was was sort of that early intervention and, and prevention so I think You know, schools, young people, children, really Mm. important that that they're sort of educated and supported. Um, But also, you know, you guys and the emergency services for all of the reasons that we've already discussed. So eventually I would like to have my corporate clients uh, sort of overpay as part of their like corporate responsibility and then that will then go into sort of concession work or freebie work for yeah. the guys that, that really need it. And That's uh, a brilliant idea. Yeah, mm.
0: that is good. So would you literally like to go to um, universities or even ambulance services who are running their in-house training courses and teach ambulance staff mental health first aid and suicide first aid?
2: I'd love to. I I will teach anybody who will listen to me, Tommy. <laughs> oh,
3: <fair enough. laughs>
2: I'll come round to Tommy's it. out then, isn't he? He <laughs> won't listen to anything, so... No, seriously though. I, I think I think probably cuz of uh, again, my, you know, my background having having worked in the ambulance service and and my personal experience that there, there is a, a special place in my heart, I think for for emergency services.
0: Oh, 100%. Yeah. Well, have your family works in the emergency services as well. So, you oh, know, no. it's uh, it stays I think in it's the family. Of, it stays in the family. That's <laughs> it. You're always there's always a what's it like a connection or or a bit of Velcro. To
3: I like what you said about trying to be like the uh, the coca-cola and mental health
2: i'm doing a lot a lot more sort of shorter awareness trainings these days so do we've got like a series of master classes on topics that are kind of you know related to mental health it might be awareness for everyone or uh, for managers or do a lot of things like stress management burnout prevention all of those sort of like little micro topics that that, that feed into that that bigger picture um and obviously we do Bespoke training as well. Sometimes the off the shelf stuff isn't right for a particular client. They might mm. want something that's more specific to their, you know, organisational or sector. Um so yeah, do do a little bit of bespoke work as well.
0: Oh cool, no awesome. So moving away from changing minds training, um and I think that this question is gonna really be aimed at everyone as clinicians and as people because we really don't know what, what tomorrow brings um with with our mental health and things. So um, the services that are available to people in a crisis, me personally, I'm only really aware of Samaritans and now, you, you know, about shout the text line. Um, is there any others that are available and, and how, we, how do we access those?
2: Yeah, yeah. So um, first thing I would say is Hub of Hope, if you haven't come across it, is a really good central resource um, okay. for not only crisis support, but other related mental health sort of support so you know there's all kinds of things on there from financial difficulties to depression to to crisis Um so that that's a good sort of central resource Um there are lots of other helplines that that exist that might be for specific sort of groups of people so you've got uh, papyrus which is for under 35 they've got a helpline you've got calm which is for men um obviously Samaritans and, and shout we've discussed um, i don't think this is something that's available nationwide but i know certainly down in surrey we have safe havens mm. um and they're they're used to, to good effect um and then and then the final one would just be um i think what people tend to call crisis lines but they're actually called urgent mental health help lines and they'll be right. a particular one for the the area that you find yourself in but again these are things that are available 24 7 um they'll direct you to that you know they'll do an initial triage and then direct you to the the most appropriate support um and and that can just be found in a you know quick google urgent mental health help
0: yeah no that's awesome there's so many services out there and then it just makes you wonder why we don't just have everything on a plate for us to be able to Mm -hmm.
3: tell and why they're so under promoted like why are they not on leaflets and social media adverts and whatever everywhere
1: yeah is there any um companies or people or places or things that you
2: can think of that are decent for like self-referral? There's there's one that I've been following recently and I think it's called Self Space I might have to check that out but very very similar concept to um, BetterHelp. Um, I mean I'm always re- a bit reluctant to mention sort of private therapy pathways because I know it's not a luxury that everybody has, but there is there is that option for people that that can afford it. Um, so that you know the BACP is a really good place to start. That's got your counsellors and your your psychotherapists on it. Um, I can't think of anything else yeah. outside of that.
1: I do I do realise with um, Better Help <laughs> that that is when I speak to patients about it. I'm like it's not particularly cheap and I understand if it's Mm -hmm. not accessible to you but if you don't know about it this is the thing that we can that I can offer you that if you can privately fund it like I think I funded it for myself for two three months and Mm -hmm. then I felt like I got what I needed out of the counselling that I had and then I um, then I sort of let the subscription
2: go but it was really nice to sort of have that um the only other thing that I'd add to that is if we're talking about employees, have a look at what internal support is available to you because most organisations nowadays have uh, an EAP, an Employee Assistance Program, and I know there's often a lot of reservations about using these because of the link to the employer, but they are confidential. Um, they they can't take any of that information back to your your employer, um, and and we tend to find that lots of these things are you know accessed via those private referral pathways so you maybe have six sessions for free or the the wait list won't be quite so long um there might also be other services that that they can you know access through that
1: that internal support even like school and and unis as well they Mm. will tend to offer it as well and they may have to refer you on eventually but at least in the meantime you can access what is There. there and available yeah yeah,
2: absolutely, yeah.
0: No, that's awesome. So, um, unfortunately, we've come to our last question. We've got a couple of questions from our listeners, but the one uh, from us, really, is, uh, if there was one thing that you could change about anything to do with mental health, whether it be the services, the patients, funding, anything, what would mm-hmm.
2: it be? Just that we learn about it growing up. I think if we learn about it in the same way we do you know, crossing the road when we're kids, I feel like that would have a massive impact on all of us later down the line.
0: Yeah. No, you're 100% right. I think it would as well. I don't think anyone can really disagree with that. Um, I think it would be much beneficial to me if if I learned how to, even like, you know, when you're, especially for blokes, when we're teenagers, like anger management and things mm-hmm. like that. If you if you just understood it a bit more, why do I feel like this? Why do I want to punch a wall and things? Mm. Um, then you'd be able to manage it. But then that is almost practicing how you manage your emotions later on in life with things like money issues or you didn't get the job you wanted or but, you know when your nan or your mum dies and stuff like that. You know, mm. it's all things that we don't really know how to deal with. And if we haven't practiced anything like it before, how are you meant to deal with it when something big happens? You know.
2: Yeah, spot on. And it's really our emotions that are the issue. It's normally our response to. To the emotions that are problematic and oh, that's yeah. the part that we're not we're not taught.
0: yeah yeah no no that's so true yeah that's so true
2: okay so shall we move on to our
1: questions from our listeners um the first one that i have here is uh i suffer with emotionally unstable personality disorder but would but i would love to be a paramedic is this still possible for me how,
2: yes, absolutely, yeah, um I mean, this goes back to that that little quote that you liked earlier, um you know, your diagnosis doesn't define you um that's the diagnosis that that I have, and it, it hasn't stopped me from doing the things that I want to do um, I would say find some stability first, get some good coping strategies, get a good support network maybe before you go down that route, because it is it is taxing, as you guys can, can all vouch for, but absolutely, just because you have any diagnosis doesn't mean that you can't do anything that you wanna do.
0: Yeah, 100%. Do you think, like, saying that actually, it might not, but, because I know they say uh, you shouldn't um, compare your own experiences with other people um, in any situation, but would it, would it help uh, having um, experiences like that and then going out to patients in a crisis or something I suppose would it it probably allows you to empathise more with patients, so there probably are benefits to to becoming a paramedic um, after you've become stable with your personality disorder. Yeah. Um, there are probably some benefits to being a paramedic for, for patients, if that makes sense. I know people will drain on the negatives, going, oh, you know, are you going to be able to deal with the tough work-life balance when actually it's not that bad. Um, but yeah, so, yeah, 100%, um, I agree. I-
3: Guys, uh, thank you very much. I think that pretty much brings us to a close uh, for this episode. Uh, Olivia, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate uh, having you on. Um, Would you like to just uh, tell everyone how they can find you and reach you, what your socials and and your websites are?
2: Yeah, we're changingmindstraining.com and just changingmindstraining on Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, And just a big thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure.
3: Oh, they're absolutely our pleasure. Yeah,
0: no, we really appreciate it. I've definitely had my mind opened a bit and my eyes opened and I imagine that everyone listening, um, will, it's funny. We had, we had a few more questions, but we sort of answered them, didn't we? Yeah. Asked and answered, I
3: think is what we were saying. Yeah. Yeah.
0: We sort of had already answered the questions from the, from the other listeners. So yeah, sorry if you didn't get your specific question answered, but, um, but we, we, we've pretty much covered it uh, in in this episode. Uh,
3: what we will do is we will link uh, in our episode bio uh, the mental health services that we talked about. We'll grab those off of Olivia and we'll link them there for you in case you want to have a browse. Whether it be for your patients or whether you are yourself a patient looking to somewhere where you can reach out to... Um, as always you can find us over on our socials um on tiktok we are at bullhorns and sirens and the same for our instagram and our twitter or x as it's now called
0: uh, but if you didn't know already we do uh partner this podcast with a pocket clinician we sell the two best pocketbooks currently on the internet. Uh, One uh, is on history taking, documentation and patient assessment so it's perfect for a student paramedic or uh, the junior clinicians that are working their way up up to paramedic uh, in the uh, in-house. And we've got a second book on ECGs called Beating the Basics which personally I think is good for everyone. We wrote it and even we keep copies on us to remind ourselves every day because you never know when that complicated ECG is going to get pumped out of the life pack. Um, You can buy them as a bundle and save yourself some money. But head over to www.pocketclinician.co.uk and get yourself one today. Thank you guys so
3: much. Uh, Coming uh, soon uh, on a few episodes time, uh, we have a physician associate uh, to discuss all things frailty uh, and a couple of junior doctors and much, much more. Thanks for staying tuned and uh, catch you guys later.
0: See ya.
1: Bye. (laughs) Bye-bye.